Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, in for Jeff Wagner, here is your host, Brian Noonan. Welcome to the final show of 2020. Thank goodness the year is ending. Uh, looking forward to spending the afternoon talking to you about all sorts of things. You know the number, 855-616-1620, the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you call in, you'll be talking to Kyle. He is executive producing the big broadcast. If you're nice to him, you get to me. That's how it works. Uh, we will uh, we will preview the Packers-Bears showdown at 2.30 with Greg Matzik. We've got a lot of uh, New Year's conversation but i want to start out by asking you if you are willing to share your greatest public embarrassment you don't have to use your real name you can text us we don't know but uh, your greatest public embarrassment and why do i bring this up because uh you've got to be thinking that graham mertz is a little embarrassed today would you agree with that assessment kyle you think he's a little uh red-faced uh, just for the fact of breaking the the Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy, I su- I suppose. But I I, I don't know. I, I want to contest it because I think I think it's just a bad trophy or a shoddy trophy, cheaply made or something. Because it seems to me like he was just holding it where anybody would be holding it, and the football just pops off. You so. are exactly right. I've gone over this footage like the Zapruder film. This was not Graham Mertz's fault. He is taking the heat. Because if you don't know the story, the Badgers won uh, the Duke's Mail Bowl yesterday. First of all, I am loving the third, fourth, and fifth tier sponsors on these bowl games. That's uh, fantastic. I didn't even know what Duke's Mail was. They're based out of Virginia. I've been a Hellman's or Kraft guy my entire life. So Duke's Mayo is not uh, on my radar. I don't. If I ever travel down to uh, Virginia or the southeast, I will have to try it. But, uh, yeah, so Duke's, uh, the Duke's Mayo Bowl yesterday, the Badgers win big. Uh, and then they go into the locker room, they're going to celebrate. Ha-ha, they trounced Wake Forest. Well, yeah, 42-28, that's a trouncing. So they're in the locker room, they're dancing around as uh, teams are wont to do when they have the, uh, the trophy in hand. And it's a crystal football on a base. But, Kyle, you were very observant, and I, I concur 100%, it's a very shoddy base. It looks like, now I don't know if the football was meant to be able to come off this base or not, but if you hand someone a trophy, it should be one, you know, it should be a solid piece. There shouldn't be any room for moving parts. It looks very similar to the uh, Vince Lombardi trophy, uh, but with a crystal football instead. Like it, it has the the similar sort of like podium like uh, right. like neck of it, and then just the football there. And so, of course, you hold it at the top of the neck, just underneath the football. I, so I I don't think he was holding it wrong or anything. No, and if you look, but you look at that neck, and it's unlike the Lombardi trophy, which is a sturdy kind of uh, pyramid or obelisk coming up to the bottom of the football. This kind of curved. And then it was very thin where it connected to the football. And so I was looking at that, and I'm like, oh, that's a stress point. That is going to be weak. It is, as Jane Lynch would say, the weakest link. And so they're dancing around, and all of a sudden, it falls, and it shatters. And all you see on the floor, it, I, we were going to play the video, but all you, all you hear is people uh, chanting and then silence. Because there's the base of the trophy, and just shattered glass everywhere. So I feel bad because uh, 
Graham Mertz is taking the heat after he had a really good game. He's taking the heat because at first they thought uh, it was linebacker Noah Burks who had been holding the trophy because he was shown in the video staring down at it sadly at the wreckage of this uh, Duke's Mayo Bowl crystal football. But then, then uh, it came out that Mertz Mertz actually did it. He he was dancing around. And he dropped it. But, again, he did not drop it because he was still holding the base. So, I don't know. I feel bad for him. Now, that, this is not the first time that a trophy has uh, wound up in pieces. We'll get to some more of those. And I want to get, you know, Greg Mert, Graham Mertz today probably feeling a little embarrassed. You know, no fault of his own. But it's still, he's the guy who was holding it when it broke. Uh, I don't know. There's been no comment from Duke's Mayo if they are going to replace the trophy. I don't know if their budget... Once they uh, had, you know, spent all that money on naming rights for the bowl game, and they bought the first trophy, do they have enough money for another trophy? And uh, you know, you 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 got to figure you go to the trophy manufacturer, right? There's got to be some sort of warranty, a 90-day kind of protection plan. If the crystal football falls off the shoddy base, there was probably a loose screw, some uh, some bolt. But anyway, he's embarrassed today. You're. Greatest public embarrassment. Uh, from the 262, already got one. Got drunk on a high school field trip and was taken to the hospital in front of all my classmates. Oh, that is embarrassing. All right, we'll get to more of your stories of your greatest public embarrassment. We'll talk about other times the trophies wound up in pieces. A lot of fun today because it is the final day of the year on WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff will be back Monday. It's Brian Noonan with you again today. Uh, we're talking about your greatest public embarrassment. All uh, because Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz is feeling probably a little embarrassed today because footage came out of him holding the Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy when it came apart. We've got some uh, conspiracy theories and different thoughts coming on the text line. We'll get to those in a minute. But Lynn is in Milwaukee. She wants to share her greatest public embarrassment. Hi, Lynn. Hi, how are you? I am well. So what embarrassed you in public? Uh, it was Christmas Eve, 1989, and we were on our the first night of our honeymoon in Key West. There was a polar vortex over the whole United States, so it was only in the 40s down there. And their power grid was shutting down because they don't have furnaces. People were all plugging in space heaters, and so there were rolling blackouts all over the, um, the Keys. So we decided to just to stay warm, got in the bathtub, and my husband had the water super hot, and I'm like, it's too hot, and I got out. And then when he got out, he collapsed on the floor, and I thought I had killed him on the first night. So I run to the phone to call for help from the resort, and I hear the knock on the door, and I open the door, and three guys are standing there to come and give us first aid, and I didn't have anything on. I didn't have a towel. (laughs) I had nothing. I was totally naked. And they go, they're just standing there shocked, and I'm saying, help my husband. And they went into the bathroom to help him, and he was had already come to, had a towel wrapped around himself. And they said, do you need help? He said, no, but my wife sure does. So for the whole rest of the honeymoon, I couldn't go out walking around without looking for these three guys who came to give us aid because they were laughing every time they saw me. So that oh, yeah, was they were probably, they couldn't wait to see you walk around again, just to relive that. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, that was that was my most embarrassing public moment. 
Well, I'm glad it all turned out okay, but I can understand why that would be that would be embarrassing. Lynn, thanks for the call. Happy New Year. Oh, that's that's funny. Just open the open the door, and there you are, all naked. Because in that stressful situation, you're not thinking of anything. You just want to get help, and you forget to put your clothes on. Similar to that, from the 262, my skirt came unfastened and fell off while I was at the podium leading a meeting in front of 60 people. Ooh. Now the question, that begs the question. Underwear, no underwear. I'm holding, you know, who knows? Either way, very embarrassing. That's that's similar to one of my most embarrassing moments. Um, back, I, I used to be a lot heavier, and... My pants would occasionally drop down because I would wear them, uh, you know, a little high, whatever, and they would they would drop. And one day I was walking into the house and my neighbors were all outside, and I was carrying groceries in both hands. As a, and as I started to go up the steps to my house, whoosh, pants came right down. Clarify, underwear was uh, was being worn, but there I am, two grocery bags, and my pants around my ankles, and my neighbors just looking at me like this guy is, uh, he's a bane. To our existence, so there was there was my most embarrassing public moment. Probably there 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 have probably been others. I mean, if I looked back, there was uh, you know when I was a uh, senior in high school, I worked at a grocery store, and that summer there was a big company picnic, and some of the older guys decided it was going to be funny to uh, get me a little uh, inebriated would be the word. And so I was uh, so inebriated that I don't remember them uh, taking me home. So that was, I don't know what I did during that, but that was it. All right, we were, we started this all off talking about Graham Mertz, the Wisconsin quarterback who dropped the Duke's Mayo Bowl. You can always jump in with your most embarrassing public moments, but let's get back to this because somebody sent in uh, from the 414, sent in a link to a video, and I was watching. If you go to the WTMJ.com page, the video is there. They said, look, now at least um, watch the video. He dropped the whole trophy. I don't I don't think so. Again, I've watched this, and I know, Kyle, you've watched this too. It appears that while he's dancing, he's holding the base of the trophy, and then when the crystal football starts to fall, he drops the, he drops the base. I don't know if it's in an attempt to try to catch the football or what, but once the, the trophy appears... Frame by frame, in my slow analysis of this, the trophy appears to come apart while he is still holding it. He is still holding the base as the crystal football begins to tumble. So, not his fault. But a good point from another texter, at least every player will go home with a piece of the trophy and a story for their lifetime. That is absolutely true. All right, let's do this. We're going to take a quick break. We'll get to, well, here's another uh, most, oh, the 262, the person who, uh, the lady who lost her skirt, underwear was being worn. Thank you for clarifying. We, we, listen, inquiring minds want to know. We cannot leave that sort of information out there. It was a horribly embarrassing public story, but probably would have been worse had you decided that day was a, you know, a day to do something daring. From the 414, I was an altar boy at Catholic grade school. During an all school mass, I was the server and got sick and threw up on the church altar. Oh. Ugh. Yeah, you're not going to live that down. Suddenly you're not altar boy, you're vomit boy for the rest of your grade school existence. And then you you probably have to transfer, right? You have to go to another parish, you have to go to another school. You can't be around because everybody will know you from then on as vomit boy. And do the priests let you do the big masses anymore? Do you get Christmas Eve mass? Do you get uh, do you get Easter? 
Or are you just relegated to like the 7.30 a.m. weekday mass so that you're not, uh, there's not a chance that you're going to do this again in front of a bigger crowd? I don't know. That is uh, horribly embarrassing. All right, I mentioned that this was not the first time that a trophy was broken. We'll get into that, and uh, you can continue sharing your worst public embarrassment stories at 855-616-1620, the AccuNet Mortgage Talk at text line. It's 620 WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, we were talking about your greatest public embarrassment, and these stories are hilarious. Joni is in uh, Red Granite. Hi, Joni. Oh hi. Okay, I hope you're gonna pay me send me five bucks for this one. I was we were at dinner with friends. We were this is like fifty years ago. We were at dinner at dinner with friends in Idaho, and I went to the restroom and I came back out and walked across the entire dining room to our table and had a trail of toilet paper stuck to my shoe. <laughs> oh man! Now who told you finally that you had this stuck to your shoe, or did you figure it out on your own? I think I kind of caught a glimpse of it when I went to sit in my chair and I moved my foot in or I don't know, but there it was. <laughs> oh, man. And there you traipsed across the whole place. Now, have you done anything like that oh, sure. since? Or was that, now do you check every time no, you leave I, the restroom? I always, I check my feet when I leave the restroom for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jody, thanks for sharing this story. Happy New Year. Take care. Uh, mine is similar to yours from the 262. I was carrying two pizzas, and my pants dropped. My son, about six at the time, was no help. He laughed so hard that he dropped one of the two-liter bottles of soda he was carrying, and the lid popped off and soda sprayed all over. Yes, including onto my pants. That's from John in Burlington. Um, from the 414, my daughter was at Mass at St. Peter's in Rome and was a minister of the cup for communion. Wow, that's pretty cool. The cup hit the altar rail, and the blood of Christ spread all over the floor. She said all of the nuns in the church were staring her down, and she felt humiliated. Oh, that's horrifying. And Jeff says, I vomited in and was asked to leave Buffalo Wild Wings after the Packers won the Super Bowl in 97. Embarrassing and fitting. You can't be uh, hanging around Buffalo Wild Wings, yakking everything up. Um just a couple a couple of times trophies have been wrecked in the past, as we're talking about uh, Graham Mertz, which started this whole thing. The World Series trophy has been broken many times. The Commissioner's Trophy um, has spiral flagpoles that apparently can be quite delicate. The Washington Nationals bent a couple of the flagpoles during their 2019 celebration. In 2018, the Red Sox, thanks to an errant beer can broke one of them. In 2017, the Astros at a Museum Gala event broke it, and the 2016 Cubs at uh, Theo Epstein's charity concert all had similar problems. Um, Mertz didn't drop the trophy under a bus. Real Madrid defender Sergio Ramos dropped the 2011 Copa del Rey trophy from atop a moving vehicle during a parade. The 2011 Independence Bowl trophy was shattered by Missouri mascot Truman the Tiger. Eddie George of Ohio State was dismayed to learn that his Heisman Trophy had a finger bent back when it got stuck through the x-ray machine during a security check at LaGuardia. When Maria Sharapova hoisted the 2006 U.S. Open Trophy, the top came off and smacked her in the head. The Stanley Cup has been abused more than any other trophy. Uh, it's, you can find plenty of dents, lists, uh, because the the thing with the Stanley Cup, if you don't know, is every player on the team gets to take it. All the coaches, everybody gets to take it home for a day or two, and so 
they've done everything. They drink out of it. They put their babies in it. They have parties. It's so it is banged, banged up. Um, just this year, Colin Morikawa got a scare uh, when the top of the Wanamaker Trophy flew off after he lifted it up after winning the 2020 PGA uh, PGA Championship. Uh, Gronkowski hit a baseball with the Super Bowl trophy. Yeah, I remember that too. That was uh, that was wild. All right. On the other side of the news, was 2020 the worst year ever? Some historians weigh in. Well, I'll ask you too. Do you think this was the worst year for you and for all of us? Um, oh, and let's not forget the abuse heaped on the World Series trophy by George Costanza. We shall not. We'll do all that on the other side of the news. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brian Noonan in for Jeff today. Jeff will be back on Monday. Uh, Kyle is still here. He is unwavering in his dedication to work nonstop. So that is uh, admirable, Kyle. Uh, You're ending 2020 on a high note, which uh, for many people is an admirable goal because a lot of us are not. We cannot wait to send 2020 out the door. Is there a sense of pride in your nonstop Iron Man work ethic? That you carry into the new year, Just doing what I can, Brian. <laughs> well, you're doing doing a, a fine job. This has been uh, undoubtedly and without any sort of hyperbole a very tough year for a lot of people. Just some of the things that have happened in 2020: uh, the coronavirus pandemic swept the globe, killing more than 1.7 million people, uh, including more than 337 in the United States to this point. The president was tried and acquitted after being impeached at the end of 2019. Protests stemming from several police killings of unarmed black Americans erupted throughout the country, including just outside the White House, where federal law enforcement officers used tear gas on citizens. Wildfires devastated the U.S. West Coast and Australia. The president uh, contract contracted the coronavirus and then dismissed it. Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter died in a helicopter crash. The president disputed valid results of the election. Alex Trebek died. Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, broke up with the royal family, and murder hornets arrived. Just some of the fun that we experienced during 2020. Now, that might lead you to believe that this was one of, the one of, if not the worst year in recorded history. We'll see, because some, uh, some historians have weighed in. They've been looking at this and tried to... Uh, to figure out, despite all the memes that you have been seeing that says 2020, the worst year ever, well, is it really? So I'm asking you on a personal level, because we'll, we'll discuss the year historically, but on a personal level, was this the worst year? Or was it just a run-of-the-mill with some, some ups and downs, maybe a couple more downs than usual? But where would you place this in your pantheon of the years of your life and also there's more uh, public embarrassment stories coming in we'll keep uh, we'll keep checking back on those throughout uh, the show as well so jump on 855-616-1620 the acunet mortgage talk and text line so historians have looked at this year and the self-help therapy app bloom asked 28 historians from yale oxford and stanford and other major universities so these are you know these are people with some brain power to choose the worst year in history, or as they put it, the most stressful year. So undoubtedly, this year has been full of stress for a lot of us. Whether it's job security, uh, whether it's sickness, 
all sorts of things making uh, making us stressful. But they've gone through all the years, and they've compiled a list of top worst or most stressful years in British and U.S. history. The worst year in world history, no contest. 1348. Why do you think 1348, the worst year in world history? It was the height of Black Death. Now, we've got it really bad this year with the pandemic, but during the Black Death, as many as 200 million people died. It'd be like wiping out 65% of the U.S. population. Um, The Holocaust in 1944 came in second, followed by 1816 when a volcano eruption in Indonesia blocked out the sun, and that starved millions. 2020 actually ranked sixth on this list. So while we have it bad this year, we are definitely not the worst. And that's worldwide. Now if we look at U.S. history... 2020 came in eighth. So, again, you know, things were not good this year, but you could always say it could have been worse, right? It could have been worse. So, number seven was 2001 because of the September 11 terrorist attacks. Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 was right before that. Then the 1968 because of the riots and assassinations. 1918, because of the flu epidemic, or flu pandemic, rather. The Trail of Tears in 1839. Number two was 1929, because of the stock market crash, which started the Great Depression. And Kyle, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a guess, and you can give me the event. You don't have to give me the year if you don't, uh, if you don't know. What do you think was the worst year in U.S. history? Oh, gosh, I... Top of my head, I, I have no idea. Uh, to, maybe 2001? No, 2001 came in, uh, came in seventh. Hmm. It was 1862 because the Civil War. Got it. Yeah, According that makes to, sense. Yeah, that's what most historians say that was the worst year for us in, the, in U.S. history because it, it appeared that the country was going to be totally eradicated. So 1862, the worst, again, this year bad, came in number eight, according to historians. Uh, 1862 is a symbol of a time when the nation almost broke apart, and that really goes to the essence of what it is to be a country in a society. It's almost like a dagger to the heart of the country. Uh, but they also say, all these historians also say that it may, it's still too close to call. You know, we're not even officially out of 2020 yet. Uh, so we don't know if it's, if it'll move up and down the rankings. For, but for as bad as it is, or as bad as it was, um, and I don't think it'll help by saying it could always it could be worse, but it could be worse. Um, I think people need this from the 307 to grab a shred of history and think about how wonderful our lives are. 2020 was not the worst year. Remember World War I, World War II, the Great Depression, the atrocities of Mao, who killed millions. The list goes on and on. Uh... Get a grip, people. It had some ups and downs, but we have such amazing lives compared to many other terrible things that happened across history. And again, that is that is true, but it's also going to depend on your perspective. If you're somebody who lost their job nine months ago and hasn't been able to find a new job, a new job, and you've been trying to go through 
to get unemployment, and that's all been messed up, which, by the way, they said they cleared it. We talked about this the other day. It was all supposed to be cleared by tomorrow. They said they cleared the bat- backlog, not of the, not of the appeals, but of the actual claims. So that's good news. But if you're one of those people who've been dealing with it, if your kids haven't been able to go to school and you you see them falling behind, if there's a, a million different things that went wrong this year that is affecting one person one way and not affecting another person. So, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, there's a lot of great things going on, and there are, but if, if you're suffering, you may think that this is a... Uh, this is the worst year. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we've got some more uh, tales of public embarrassments coming in. And uh, if you do want to uh, weigh in, if this was the best or the worst year, and I have, I have another example of how it actually may, in fact, be the worst year. All of that and more on six twenty WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, we looked at 2020 in a historical perspective, not the worst year uh, worldwide or in U.S. history. Somebody said, what about the Spanish flu? We talked about that. Spanish flu uh, ranked at uh, number four as the worst year in U.S. history. And I asked you, after looking at the year in historical perspective, excuse me, I wanted uh, you to look at it in a personal perspective, and uh, tell me, was it... Was it the worst year, or was it, you know, okay? Just a year like any other where, you know, you had ups and downs, but things things went okay, and it's, again, all going to depend on your perspective. Jeff is in Fox Lake. He said the year is tied with 2015 when my father passed away as the worst year ever for me. Yeah, that's very understandable. From the 920, it was my best year. Me and my wife had our first son, January 24th, 2020, and we had our first daughter, 12, 24, 20. Wow. Holy cow. You did not waste any time. Good for you. Congratulations. Two kids in one year. That is, man, that's a lot. But that is fantastic. From the 262, this was a pretty good year for me. Even with having a cold in August, I was able to spend time with my wife and adult kids uh, and their three uh, girlfriends. They were our... They were our COVID bubble. We took a couple nice weekend trips, stayed in Airbnbs, isolated, spent a lot of time hunting and fishing while working through lockdowns. So yeah, everybody's got everybody's got different ways of looking at that, uh, looking at things, and different ways they experienced 2020. Overall, for me, it was uh, like I think for like most of us, very difficult at times, fun at times. There were a lot of big changes because of what the pandemic wrought but um you know just on a personal level again it wasn't as bad as it could be so far my family um my mom my brothers uh my wife and daughter everybody has stayed healthy which is good and uh you know we're able to keep working which was good some rough spots but other than that not bad but for those of you who are saying, yeah, this is the worst year ever, there's got to be other signs that this is the worst year ever. Sure. How about dog-sized lizards spreading into Texas and Louisiana from Florida? Now, we had a big Florida news uh, big Florida news segment yesterday, and we were going to be done talking about Florida news, but once again, Florida is infiltrating the rest of the country. So these dog-sized lizards are moving. The Argentine black-and-white tegu 
is a native to South America, but National Geographic says the large lizards are taking over in the Florida Everglades and have started popping up in Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, and Texas. Oh, boy. This is how it starts. The dog-sized lizards. They're in the Everglades. They get brave. They come out. Pretty soon, they're going to be north of the Mason-Dixon. Going to be going over to the ball game, going down to Summerfest. They'll be popping out of the lake. Big dog-sized lizards. Biologists say the creatures are omnivorous, eating pretty much anything they can fit in their mouths. Sounds like me. Right? <laughs> I'm, anything. Well, are we, uh, you know, I love being omnivorous. They're also extremely hardy, so it's tough to reduce the population or control the spread once the species becomes established in an area. Isn't that encouraging? Not only are they gigantic, they're also tough. And they're not putting up with any of your garbage. Like other Florida invasive reptiles, tegus got a foothold in the wild after many escaped cap captivity and were released by pet owners. I've never understood the allure of the exotic pet. Now, if you have a snake or a lizard or uh, I don't know what other kind of... A, a friend of mine just bought a raccoon for a pet. I, I don't get that. But it seems to me, we heard this with uh, you know, pythons and stuff down in Florida, where those were overtaking the Everglades, that people get them and don't realize that they're going to get that big or that maybe a python or a tegu is not the best pet, and then they get rid of them. And now you've got what, what happens here. So um, tegus have been breeding in South Florida for more than a decade, but have only recently begun to spread to other states. Yeah, because they're like everybody else. They're getting sick of Florida. Too many crazies down there. Plus, the manatees get all the attention, so they gotta, they got to go. The lizards are described as docile and intelligent. Again, just like me. But they... <laughs> yeah, I know. You're all saying, well, docile we get. Intelligent, you're pushing it. But they will happily eat any smaller animals, fruits, or vegetables they could get to, making them a threat for pet owners and farmers. According to National Geographic, uh, they tweeted out, these voracious lizards will eat just about anything. And they're spreading in multiple states after escape or release from captivity. It's time to get Tommy Lee Jones on this, like in The Fugitive. Check every outhouse, doghouse, every house. Make sure the, uh, the giant tegus. Maybe they will eat murder hornets. You know what? 262, that is a very good point. Maybe they will eat the murder hornets. I don't understand it. Um, but again, you know, are you a pet guy, Kyle? Do you have a, do you have a pet? Yeah, Kaylee and I have uh, two cats at home. Cats, okay, cat, and I, I put the quotes around this, cat's a normal pet. Cats are, you know, a lot of people have cats. Uh, would, yeah. you ever, would you ever consider bringing in a giant lizard to your home? Uh, no, but way, way back in the day, I had sort of like the dream pet kind of thing, the, you know, the fantastical kind of thing. I always thought of having like a, a, like a lynx or like a mountain lion or something like that. Not, <laughs> Not a super large cat, but like a medium-sized cat. You know, something that, that wouldn't completely destroy my body, but would still be able to maul or kill me. So you're like a minor league Tony Montana. You don't want the full <laughs> tiger out in the backyard. That's you right. You just want, you know, you want a medium-sized predator roaming around your house. Something that I'll be able to put up at least a little bit of a fight against, but still lose. <laughs> the only thing I can equate that to is, there's every time I'm at the zoo, I love bears. I love just I love polar bears and grizzly bears, all kinds of bears. I just love them. There's some and I'm old enough to remember a show called Gentle Ben where the kid had a grizzly bear as a pet. And I always thought that would be kind of fun. And then I look at a bear's paws 
and the giant claws on there. And I'm like, that would be the dumbest thing ever. That pet, that bear might be cute for like a half hour. And then suddenly it would just look at me like I'm steak tartare and it would all be over. That's the same with people who have these, uh, you know, like boa constrictor, any kind of snake that could kill you or, uh, you know, spiders. Just pets where you go, one, these pets, you can't do anything with them. You know, what are you going to take about? Are you going to be that guy, the python guy who's walking around every outdoor festival with your shirt off and a giant snake around your neck? No. Who wants to be that guy? Unless you are that guy, and then, you know, Godspeed. I'm I'm happy for you. Happy New Year. I hope uh, in 2021 your snake doesn't wrap itself around your neck and just decide to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. All right, let's do it. We've got a few more funny public embarrassment stories that we'll get to, and a whole lot more. We'll do that after this on WTMJ. Just a couple minutes before the news, but we all take a little bit of pleasure in hearing other people's embarrassing stories. We've been getting your worst public embarrassment stories throughout the first hour and a couple more just to leave us on, you know, smiling at somebody else's discomfort for a moment, even though these all these stories worked out okay, thank goodness. Uh, from the 262, last year I was up north with my brothers fishing on White Potato Lake. We had all consumed a few beverages on the water. Mm, no shock there. There was about eight boats in a small area of the lake. I had just reeled in a largemouth bass and bent over the front of the boat to pick it out of the water and fell face forward into the lake. Lost my glasses, lost my fishing pole. You could hear laughter all around us. People love... It's one of those things where the first instinct when you see that happen is shock until you realize, oh, okay, he's all right, and then, then you can laugh. Or at least I would hope your first reaction is concern. Uh, from the 304, when I was in college marching band, I marched for Marshall University College in Huntington, West Virginia. Our band was invited to play halftime at the Steelers-Browns home opener in Pittsburgh with a sold-out crowd of 70,000 people. Oh, this is going to be a big public, public embarrassment. I think uh, Molly, my daughter, was in marching band, so she would know more about this. She was. Uh, but your marching drills, you line up according to the hash marks in the field. The hash marks on an NFL field are in different position than college hash marks, and we had practice lining up for the NFL hash marks many times. However, when it came time for the performance, I lined up at the spot that I would have been at on a college field, the performance was being taped by the stadium crew and being shown on the video board. So right before we got ready to start, there was a video of me rushing over to the spot that I needed to light up uh, for the NFL field. Everything ended up okay, but pretty embarrassing for me. Hope you have a uh, happy new year. Well, happy new year to you, and thanks for sharing that story. On the other side of the news, we're going to talk about your most Wisconsin news story of the year. Something that could only happen. In Wisconsin. We'll do that after the news, which comes your way after this on 620 WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, in for Jeff Wagner, here is your host, Brian Noonan. So what is your most Wisconsin or most important Wisconsin news story of 2020? There's a lot going on, and some things you read the news or you hear the news story, you go, know, that can happen only in Wisconsin. I want to talk to you about that at 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. An interesting piece the other day in the uh, Journal Sentinel, and uh, they call these the most Wisconsin news stories of the past year. And when you hear some of these, it will trigger your memory and you will, oh, yeah, 
That's there, There's things that really, maybe they'll happen somewhere else, but really, no. It's only, it's only going to happen here. And while there's a lot of stuff we want to forget from 2020, there are things that you know, it's fun to look back. For example, the story of a snowmobile strapped to the car roof. You remember this? The year started off, uh, it had all the ingredients necessary for a good Wisconsin tale. Frugality, a snowmobile, and a friendly Illinois boy. Right there, it sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A man who didn't want to spend money on a trailer strapped a snowmobile to the top of his Chevy Malibu and drove from Lamont, Illinois to Bessemer, Michigan, with Wisconsinites capturing the journey on social media along the way. The bad idea caught on, in, and in November, the Wisconsin State Patrol pulled over another car with a snowmobile strapped to its roof, prompting a reminder from the Department of Transportation to, quote, not try this at home. Not only is that a truly Wisconsin story, it's a really dumb story. But the fact that it happened numerous times is hilarious to me. First of all, how would you even get a snowmobile on top of your car? And if you're somebody who's fortunate enough to have a snowmobile, wouldn't you have a vehicle that would move that snowmobile around? Like if I'm driving a Corolla, I'm not going to figure, well, you know, put my snowmobile right in the trunk. That'll be fantastic. No, don't you have a pickup truck or a trailer or something? But yes, snowmobile strapped to the roof of a car, truly Wisconsin story. Not so much just a Wisconsin story, but more of a completely Midwest story is also seeing the deer strapped to the car. I'll never forget the first time I was driving along and I saw a deer strapped to a car. I thought, what the? What's going on there? Um, another most Wisconsin news story of 2020, the Wienermobile got pulled over. Even the Wienermobile from one-time Madison-based Oscar Meyer has to follow the rules of the road in Wisconsin. In January, a Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy pulled over the famous Frankfurter for failing to move over for an emergency vehicle. The hot dog got off with a verbal, verbal warning. Wow. That's got to be hard to drive, the Wienermobile. But if you hear, and who knows, who, who knows, you know, they got music going on in there, the Oscar Mayer Wiener theme is just going nonstop. Oh, I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, blah, blah. And it's piped in like uh, ice cream truck music, so maybe the driver didn't hear the emergency vehicle coming behind them. But how do you also, also, if you're the Waukesha County Sheriff's deputy, how do you go back to the headquarters that night? You go, yeah, I made a stop today. Oh, really? What happened? Man, I had to pull over the Wienermobile. Thing just wasn't following the rules. I had to pull it over. Bun and all. Everybody, side of the road. That's the way it goes. From the 414, um, said they only got a $10 fine for that. The idiot should have been fined more. That, that a quote from the text. Is that right? Only a $10 fine for having a snowmobile on top of your car? It's going to cost you more than that for turtle wax to get the uh, tread marks out of your roof. And from the 262, their big Wisconsin story, the Wisconsin Elections Commission total lack of ethics in the Republican legislature's Lack of a backbone. That is their most Wisconsin story of 2020. This one, and uh, Kyle, maybe you'll agree with me. I know you enjoy an adult beverage every once in a while. Uh, this, this story this year, purely Wisconsin, 
and made me weep. Not openly, but just, uh, you know, one big tear coming down my face. New Glarus dumps spotted cow. Uh, who knows what's more tragic, drinking old spotted cow or dumping half-drank kegs of the sacred Wisconsin beer New Glarus Brewing Company decided the former was, and in April, the craft brewer offered to buy back partially filled kegs from bars as part of its Fresh is Best program. The brewery dumped the beer as fertilizer on farm fields, uh, hopefully barley or wheat, to complete the beer's circle of life. So I like that, and I do want fresh beer, but the just the thought of beer anywhere being just poured out wantonly is, is saddening. And uh, pouring out Spotted Cow, just a little bit sadder. What is your biggest Wisconsin news story? One that could only happen here or one that you think affected us the most of all? 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll get to more of these stories on the other side. It's WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It's Brian Noonan in for Jeff Wagner. Jeff will be back on Monday. We are talking about your most Wisconsin news stories of the last year. And uh, somebody just texted me this, a link to this story, which I remember seeing. And I did think, yeah, really, only only here. Cannibal sandwich scare. Wisconsin officials urge families to pass on holiday tradition of eating raw meat. Uh, Wisconsinites and fans of undercooked meat. Uh, the annual holiday health warning, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services is urging residents to put down their cannibal sandwiches, also known as raw meat sandwiches, tiger meat, or steak tartare. Many Wisconsin families consider them to be a holiday tradition, but eating them poses a threat for salmonella. Yes, there you go. That is definitely a, uh, uh, I, very unique to this area. Not, uh, not one of my, Go to foods. I there's something about the thought of that that uh, I don't know kind of <laughs> makes my stomach flip a little bit. But I want to know your most Wisconsin stories. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We'll go back to a couple of these. Uh, bear gets head stuck in cheese ball tub. Even the bears in Wisconsin can't resist a cheese ball, but one got itself in trouble this June when it got its head stuck in a cheese ball container. Then went swimming in Marshmiller Lake. Uh, the story has a Gouda ending. Ha ha! The family spotted the a family spotted the distressed bear and maneuvered their fishing boat to su- successfully free it from the plastic tub. Uh, oh boy, we got a nice. Uh, I wish we had the rim shot ready from the nine two zero. The guy with the Oscar Mayer Wiener mobile should have uh, gotten a missed demeanor. Ha! All right, thank you nine two zero. Comedy is rough. It's always rough. Kids kayak down a flooded street. Yeah, this happened in Janesville. Uh, in July, two kids made the most of a rainstorm that flooded their street. They paddled their lime green kayaks down the temporary river in front of their house. Their mom said this wasn't the first time they did it, and in the past, the pair had used other flotation devices, including an inflatable unicorn. It sounds like you either need to move to a different street or get the kids a pool somewhere. Live by the lake, so they they don't have to wait for a flood to go out and enjoy their water sports. This got a lot of people. This story got a lot of people worked up. I thought it was a great idea. Uh, I may not have been in the majority here, but the uh, cream puffs, changing the cream puffs this year and doing them via drive-through. You know, the state fair cream puffs, 
are nothing to laugh at. State fairs canceled. They decide they're going to do the drive-through cream puff. That's fantastic. All the food drive-through. That's great. Uh, but then they decide they are going to sell uh, pumpkin spice and cocoa flavored cream puffs in December. The spiced ones in October. I didn't have any of those. I am. Uh, I, I'm good with that. That's fine. You want to sell more cream puffs? I'm down. A marriage proposal at Culver's. This was not you, was it, Kyle? Uh, no, no, this was not me. Okay, I just, you know. In September, a man proposed to his girlfriend in Kenosha in front of their favorite fast food restaurant, Culver's. To make it even more Wisconsin, he wore a Packers jersey. Of course he did. How would you not? If you're, if you're going to get engaged at Culver's, there's absolutely no way you're not wearing your Packers jersey. Your best Packers jersey. Maybe one that's been signed that you, you only pull out for weddings, funerals, and marriage proposals. You know, your top-of-the-line Packers jersey. I don't know if if I'm the bride-to-be. Well, I guess the bride-to-be said yes. So they, they obviously have similar similar likes. But to me, that doesn't seem like a, the greatest place. Unless it was maybe their first date. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Uh, free lineys for listening to polka music. That could not be more Wisconsin. Uh, Oktoberfest celebrations were canceled this year, but Lining Kugels kept uh, the spirit alive in September by offering a free six-pack of its Oktoberfest beer to people who listen to 60 seconds of polka music. Oh, man, how did I miss that? I'd have listened to, you know, two, three, four minutes. Just kept loading up the six-pack. Bring me a case. Bring me a case. And uh, finally, a dumpster fire Christmas decoration. A Wauwatosa family made the most of the dumpster in their front yard this Christmas season by decorating it with cutouts of the year 2020 and a fire, creating a figurative dumpster fire. A nod to the term that he is, uh, he is, that the year has been. And finally, I know I said finally, but this was the biggest one for a lot of people, the most Wisconsin story of the year. Giannis, Giannis chose chooses to stay with the Bucks on December 15th. He signed, so there you go. Uh, on the other side of the coin, while there were a lot of good and fun stories to talk about this year, there were also things that have left us for good. Uh, we will cover some of those and t- get your memories on some of these uh, things. Things that have left Wisconsin for good in 2020. We'll do that after this. WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brian Noonan in for Jeff. What are you going to miss the most about 2020? Things that have left us this year. One of the biggest things that shut down for good that is going to affect families for years to come. Of course, the Tommy Bartlett Show ran 69 years in the Wisconsin Dells. 69 years of the Tommy Bartlett Show in the spring, they announced that they weren't going to hold the water ski, uh, sky, and stage show. It brings in 90% of the, it used to bring in 90% of the revenue for the company. Uh, then they announced they would forever close because of the catastrophic loss of business due to the pandemic. So unfortunately, when next spring and summer roll around, after almost seven decades, no more Tommy Bartlett water show. Uh, While we are grateful that we have had almost seven decades of entertaining visitors in the Wisconsin Dells, we have no choice but to close the show, 
said uh, the president and co-owner of the Tommy Bartlett Show. So that's that's one of the big losses this year, not only for Wisconsin, but for the whole region. People would come uh, from all over to the Dells. They'd spend their money. They'd go see the Tommy Bartlett Show, and uh, and that's... It's another another crushing blow from the pandemic. Uh, small music venues. We talked to Piet Levy the other day about everything that was going on in the music scene. A handful of small music venues did not make it. Uh, Fire on Water, the Underground Collaborative, Up and Under, River West Public House Cooperative, Walker's Point Music Hall, and the Captain Pabst Pilot House all closed this year. Uh, that is uh, another sad, sad event. What else? Now here we brought. The, I heard Scott talking about this later. For and for a lot of us, this is going to be a huge deal. Um, our last tailgate at Miller Park, because you know that tomorrow at midnight or tonight at midnight, however you want to put it, January first, it's no longer Miller Park. It's going to be uh, American Family Field. Was bought. The naming rights were bought by American Family Insurance. A lot of people very upset because with fans not allowed at the park, they were uh, they were not uh, they were not there to get their last picture. So very sad. We talked about this a minute ago. The purity of the State Fair cream puff. Now some are saying that this is a huge loss. I do not see it as a loss. Kyle, where do you weigh in on the purity of the cream puff? Would you say that it's uh, it's fine? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was. As someone for, that comes from central Wisconsin, I never really went to the State Fair ever until I first moved here a couple of years ago, and I finally went to the State Fair uh, the year before last, um, and it was great. I, I had no complaints. I definitely went in a skeptic because I wasn't really sure what all the fuss was about, but uh, yeah, no complaints from me. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, you, you, add, a, you add a little more options. Why only Why only have cream puffs once a year when you can have cream puffs three times a year? The more, the merrier. You know? One of the big things that was lost this year that uh, we're not going to get back is a chance to show off Milwaukee to the nation. There was going to be a lot of opportunities. The, uh, the Democratic National Convention, the Bucks were going to be in the playoffs, all the big festivals, everything was supposed to show off Milwaukee, and then the pandemic hit. And unfortunately, we now know that that was not done. The DNC... Only had one small stage here. Most of the uh, most of the stuff happened in Delaware, where Joe Biden lives. So the the Democratic convention didn't get to play out. All the businesses lost all of that that they were uh, all the things that they were planning. You know, tourism and restaurants and all that. Then the Bucks had to do their playoff run in the bubble, so we didn't get all those crowds. Very sad. We lost Summerfest last year, and now you know we're hoping that this year it comes back with the uh, three-weekend format in 2021, and the final indignity, the big Christmas star that is only viewable once every 400 years, and then it was too cloudy to see it in Milwaukee. So we missed out on that as well. On the other side of the news, let's uh, switch it up. New Year's traditions. Tonight, people are going to be doing things tonight and tomorrow that they do every year. Um... What do you do? What is your favorite New Year's Eve tradition? We'll get into that on the other side of the news. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brian Newton in for Jeff today. Jeff will be back on Monday. 
special programming tomorrow, so we will not be here. But it has been a fun week. We've got a lot to get to. We'll talk about uh, the Packers-Bears matchup with Greg Matzik after the 2.30 news. But tonight is New Year's Eve. You know that. The year is coming to an end. Everybody's very excited about that. Uh, We're moving on to something new. But there are certain things that we all do, certain traditions that you might have for New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, and that's what I want to hear from you. What traditions do you have either for tonight or for tomorrow that you are going to adhere to? No matter what this previous year has been, you're going to do this with hopes that it is either going to bring good luck or some prosperity or whatever it is for the next year. 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We don't have too many traditions for New Year's. Um Usually, what's going to what I imagine is going to happen tonight is we're going. We used to go out to dinner, my wife and I. Uh, Then, when our daughter got old enough uh, in high school and stuff, and she would have friends over to the house, we started bringing food in. So our our tradition now is to get some sushi for dinner on New Year's Eve, and then uh, we plan on staying up. We have a nice bottle of uh, prosecco chilling in the refrigerator for our. New Year's toast, which always ends up me sitting alone uh, in the living room while my wife is asleep on one couch, and this year our daughter will be asleep on another couch, and the dogs are usually asleep as well, and I'm the only one at midnight who is toasting in the new year. Uh, and I do, I do that by myself uh, with Ryan Seacrest, and it's, uh, you know, so that's unfortunately the new tradition. And then on New Year's Day, I always heard that whatever you do on New Year's Day is going to be what you end up doing the whole year. So I try to get the laundry done prior to New Year's Day, the shopping, all that kind of mundane stuff. I try not to do on New Year's Day, just hoping that it will carry over for the rest of the year. We will see. But around the globe, there's a lot of great traditions. Uh, The 262 says, we always do a New Year's Eve service at our church. We have preaching and prayer to close out the year. Can you think of a better way to end the year? No, I cannot think of a better way. We all need uh, we all we all need to you know be a little more introspective and hope that uh, hope that things get better next year. From the nine two zero, have a number of adult beverages at home. Have our colossal crab legs. Uh, doze off probably an hour or two before midnight. <laughs> yeah, that seems it gets to a certain age where you're like, right, you know, it's midnight. Uh, yeah, six o'clock here is Irish New Year, so maybe we'll maybe this year, in order to ward off the falling asleep before midnight here, we'll just do the uh, we'll just celebrate I- Ireland's New Year. You know, as an Irish family, we will uh, that that might work for us. So every culture has its own way to bring in the New Year, hoping that it will bring good luck. So here are some of the ones from around the globe. But maybe it's not too late for you to, uh, if you don't have one, and you want to adopt a certain kind of uh, good luck tradition for New Year's Eve, then this is the way to go. Have Hop and John for New Year's Day dinner. That is black-eyed peas, pork, and rice. Now, according to uh, the people who, who adhere to this, according to history.com, Hop and John was and still is often eaten with collard greens, which can resemble paper money, and golden cornbread. The peas themselves represent coins. Some families boost the potential of their Hop and John by placing a penny underneath the dishes or adding extra pork, which is thought to bring more luck. Uh, so if you, want, if you want good luck and peace 
for the rest of the year. Maybe tomorrow you make Hop and John. I've never had Hop and John. Now, uh, somebody, one of our texters said they're going to have giant crab legs for New Year's Eve. Making a fish dinner is considered another good New Year's Eve entree. Since fish only swim in one direction forward like the movement of time. And if you're not a fan of fish, there are plenty of other good luck uh, New Year's foods, too. So these are some of it. Um, oh, somebody texted again about, uh, about Ireland. I am, uh, I am second generation. So that's not, uh, I, I was not born there. My grandparents were all born there. So that is my connection to Ireland. Uh, Richard in Watertown is checking in his New Year's Eve tradition tonight. Church, followed by crab legs, lobster, shrimp, and scallops. Ooh, Richard, you got an extra place at the table? That doesn't sound uh, that doesn't sound bad at all. Tomorrow, prime ribbed baked French onion soup, baked potatoes, and asparagus. Kyle, we got to get to Watertown. Richard is uh, Richard's putting on quite a spread. Man, oh man, those are that's, that's good. Now I have not heard this as a tradition for New Year's, but to wear white. Brazil. This is a thing in Brazil. It makes it easier to choose your New Year's Eve outfit. Everyone wears white for good luck and peace. Plus, matching outfits make for good photos. All right. I guess that's true. Another tradition. Um, jumping seven waves. This also comes from Brazil. If you head to the beach, you can increase your luck by heading into the water and jumping over seven waves. You get one we wish for each wave. I guess we could do that in Lake Michigan, couldn't we? I don't know if you want to. I definitely do not. But I would imagine the theory holds the same. If you can jump over seven waves in the lake, you'll get one wish for each wave. Hopefully your first wish is a thermal blanket, and your second wish is treatment for your hypothermia. Those would be my first two wishes. I still have five more. That's not too shabby. If you get in a bad mood tonight, you could do this. Pretend you're in Denmark, because their tradition for good luck on New Year's is broken dishes. People go around breaking dishware on the doorsteps of their friends and family. The more shards there are in front of your home the next day, the luckier and more well-liked you are. But try to keep it on the doorstep. I once threw a cup at my friend's house, a reveler told a uh, newspaper. The cup didn't break, but the window did instead. Maybe we get uh, Grand Marsh to carry the dishes around. He'll just drop them on everybody's porch. That would be fun. First bite of food at midnight has to be pickled herring, according to 414. Holy cow. Ugh. I say, uh, I've never had pickled herring. Just, uh, it's one of those things that you hear, and unless, unless you're a devotee, it doesn't sound great. But that's just me. Now, I've heard this one a number of times, eating 12 grapes. Exactly 12. One at each stroke of midnight. They do that in Spain. You pop one grape for every month of the new year. Eating one grape at, e at each midnight clock chime guarantees you a lucky year if and only if you simultaneously ruminate on their significance. So each, you have to, oh, this is January, this is February. If you fail to conscientiously finish your grapes by the time the clock stops chiming, you'll face misfortune in the new year. That's too much pressure at midnight. Right? That, come on. That's way too much. 
We've got a couple more of these good luck traditions. I want to hear yours. They're coming in at 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And then we will talk a little bit about how things are going to look different uh, tonight, especially on one of the big platforms. We'll do all of that on the other side. It's WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, we've been talking about some uh, holiday New Year's traditions that are supposed to bring you good luck. And I'm asking you some of yours. Uh, Raw beef and onions on mini rye bread. Oh, boy. See, that just we just heard about the uh, carnivore sandwich in the health department saying you're not supposed to eat that. I don't know. I don't, uh, are you, have you had that, Kyle? Are you a raw beef and uh, onion guy? No, I've never had it. And actually, I don't, I've never really met anybody that has done it either. This is a sort of a popular topic that we had on the show a couple weeks ago when we were okay. around Christmas time. Um, but it is interesting that in different areas of Wisconsin, it's named differently. Uh, so I had never even heard of it being called a cannibal sandwich. I don't even right. know why someone would be attracted to the name of that in the first That's place. Cool. Right. Um, but I, in, in in the Wausau, central Wisconsin area where I'm from, we always called it Wildcat. Wildcat? Yeah, yeah. So you, you just eat Wildcat. It's the rye bread with the raw beef and some onions, salt and pepper, and you're biting into Wildcat. But there's no cat. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's also, it's not a cannibal sandwich either. You're not eating people. That's, well, that, no, that's true. But cannibal, cannibal is, all right, you're eating, well, I guess yeah, you're bl- eating bloody raw human. meat, I suppose. Yeah, I, meat, I get it. Yeah. As opposed to cats, a little different. Uh, again, if this, is your, if this is your favorite dish, God bless you. I just, it doesn't, I've seen, I've seen in the past, I had always heard it called steak tartare. You know, where it comes on the platter, and you've got an egg in the middle of it, and everything's raw, and I'm, uh, no thank you. But if you like it, I'm not saying you're wrong to like it. I'm just saying, you know, it was a story this year that the health department was saying no. Because what's the difference, the 920, what's the difference between having uh, raw beef sandwiches or having a steak medium well done? Well, your question states the difference. One is raw, and one is cooked. That's that to me is the big difference and i'm not saying what is better than the other but if you are if this is one of your things you're welcome you're welcome to share what makes it so delicious because obviously we do not uh, we do not understand it so just a couple more of these good luck traditions smooch a loved one most of us do that uh it is borrowed uh, this this is borrowed from the english and german folklore which stated it's the first person with whom a person came in contact that uh, dictated the year's destiny so choose your partner wisely. Uh, one we heard yesterday, an Irish tradition, is to open the doors so that uh, if you open the doors and windows, you let the old year out and the new one in. So we're going to open all the doors and windows. Scott weighing in. I love raw beef. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, in Puerto Rico, they throw water out the window. because It drives away evil spirits. And you save a wish for next year. Instead of burning the wishes, you can have everyone write down a resolution, goal, wish, or note to their future selves, put it in a jar, and then save it for the year. On next New Year's Eve, you can retrieve the jar and read the notes to see how far everyone has progressed. Uh, with my luck, I would forget where the jar is. And then, uh, you know, then I've wasted all of the, all of the effort of getting the jar and putting everything in it. And next year, I will have not 
progressed at all. Uh, somebody texted in, hey, what about, uh, what about all the people who are spending New Year's Eve in New York City? That sounds like a bad luck charm. Things are changing. That's going to be one of the things that changes drastically tonight, uh, the Times Square drop, which I think a lot of people watch it. I know I always watch it just to see the ball drop in Times Square. Uh, last summer, not this this summer, so it would have been 2019, we were, uh, well, we were moving our daughter to New York. I got to walk through Times Square, and I saw the, you know, they've got the place where they drop the ball. And it was, it was kind of neat. I would never in a million years want to be in that crowd in Times Square on New Year's Eve. It holds absolutely zero, zero interest for me to be in that kind of crowd, not to be able to go out and go to the bathroom. You're sealed off in a pen all day. Horrifying. This year, it's going to be a lot different. Uh, New York police did do some similar things yesterday uh, to get things started. They're deploying bomb-sniffing dogs and sand-filled sanitation trucks to guard against explosions. Uh, it has uh, changed a lot. Police closed the crossroads to the world to vehicles and pedestrians at midnight. They said they would disperse any onlookers venturing into a so-called frozen zone. Those are the blocks surrounding the ball that usually has uh, these crowds that we see on TV. And it's, you know, rightfully so. It's mostly shots of young people who are all uh, gung-ho to stand for 12 hours. Not me. According to the police, if you think you're going to be able to stand and watch the ball, you're mistaken. The NYPD announced a two-part freeze that will become more expansive at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Even guests at the hotels in the area have been told they need to stay inside. They are uh, they urged would-be partygoers to stay at home to ring in the new year. That's They're begging you. They did roll out, though, the same kind of things they do, a lot of the things they do every year, heavy weapons teams, explosive-sniffing dogs, drones, sand trucks. Uh, it is a drastically scaled-back presence in Times Square. There's an 80% reduction in the typical workforce for the NYPD tonight. And uh, I saw Ryan Seacrest interviewed yesterday on some program, and he was saying, yeah, there, there are still going to be some pens, but it's going to be for first responders and healthcare workers, and they are going to be completely spread out. So it's, there will be a few people in Times Square, hand-picked, invited people. Uh, there will be a lot of recorded performances. So it'll be something to do. But if you're not watching, if you're not watching that, maybe you want to keep an eye on some other interesting ball drops to ring in the new year give you uh, some of those one of them right here in wisconsin we'll talk about that after this on wtmj we were talking about good luck uh, traditions on new year's uh, the 262 i i'm not saying i don't believe this but uh, oh my goodness when there is snow on the ground like there is today we do naked snow angels in the backyard at midnight i would love to talk to your neighbors if, and see if they, one, if they know about this tradition, two, if they observe this tradition. The other thing that uh, came up was the cannibal sandwich, the raw beef uh, for the holidays, and that is a tradition for a lot of people, people weighing in on that. Uh, from the 414, my mom passed away this year at 94. Sorry for your loss. Raw beef and onions was a Christmas and New Year's tradition in our family for her entire life. Yum, yum on San Francisco sourdough bread. It's better than rye bread and include Dusseldorf mustard and red onion, tangy, crunchy, and salty. All right? 
And then Carol says, it's been a family tradition from Germany. Steak tartare was usually made with ground steak on rye bread topped with a Bermuda onion slice. Even my grandparents would eat it, and no one ever got sick. Uh, I'm sure one needs to buy the ingredients from a reputable butcher or store. I, w- I would imagine that, too. And uh, from, the four, uh, from the 414, rare ahi tuna has a similar flavor. Huh. All right. Well, listen, again, I'm good with, the, I'm good with whatever people want to eat. You want to eat it? Go for it. Uh, tonight, we were talking also about Times Square and how it's going to be different. There are unusual ball drops or things being dropped to commemorate the new year all around the country. One of them right here in Wisconsin, the Cheese Drop in Plymouth, Wisconsin, home of a Sartori Cheese. It's the annual Sartori Cheese Drop. Uh, the event celebrates the city of Plymouth, known as the cheese capital of the world. For more than a decade, the event has drawn thousands as the community comes together to welcome in the new year. Traditionally, the event includes a countdown and the lowering of a giant wedge of Sartori award-winning Bellavitano gold cheese. Uh, today, this year, it was filmed in partnership with the Plymouth Arts Center and the Plymouth Fire Department. So you'll have to watch it. Uh, have to watch it somewhere else. You can't go and see the cheese drop. You really can't go anywhere and watch the big drop, which is sad if you live in Wiley uh, or, or in Ohio, at Port Clinton, Ohio, where they drop Wally Wiley the walleye. He drops on New Year's Eve. Uh, they can't do it this year, but it won't stop the celebration. Walleyes are freshwater fish popular among anglers. Uh, you know that. Tonight, the event will be held virtually on the Wiley Walleye YouTube page. So th- listen. If every other year you've been thinking to yourself, man, oh man, I really wish I could get to Port Clinton, Ohio, to watch Wiley the Walleye drop. Perfect. Tonight, go on the Wiley the Walleye YouTube page. Um, A blueberry in the town of Burgon, North Carolina. The North Carolina Blueberry Festival will once again welcome in the new year by dropping a giant lighted blueberry. The event will allow viewers to enter for gift cards and prizes. It will begin at 6 p.m. Eastern with the blueberry drop at 7. You could go to burgawnc.gov and just do a burgaw blueberry drop so there's this is fun because now you can do all these crazy drops all over the country without ever having to leave your home as we look ahead what are you looking the most forward to in 2021 i'll talk to you about that on the other side of the news which comes your way after this on wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, in for Jeff Wagner, here is your host, Brian Noonan. Welcome to the final hour of the big broadcast after 2.30. Greg Matzik will be here. We'll talk Packers-Bears Sunday, the big game at Soldier Field. 855-616-1620 is how you get a hold of me here on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I want to know what you are looking forward to in 2021. Uh, it's one of those questions. I'm sure there's going to, a lot of easy answers. You know, looking forward to getting out again, looking forward to getting the vaccine, uh, looking forward to whatever it is that you have not been able to do for the last nine months or uh, have been restricted from doing, have only been able to do a little bit. Whatever it is, the new year holds. And I'm not talking about resolutions because, listen, if we made it through this year, we don't need to make any resolutions. We survived. We survived what was a tough year for a lot of people. And now we'll just go on and, you know, maybe you can recycle your resolutions if you made them from last year that you either 
got to or didn't get to because of the pandemic. But I'm not talking resolutions. I'm talking about in your daily life or in a bigger store. What are you looking forward to for the country? What are you looking forward to for Milwaukee? What are you looking forward to for your neighborhood, your family? What are you looking forward to? Uh, from the 920, looking forward to knowing that 2020 is no more. Yes, it, even though we all know that tomorrow a switch is not going to be fit, flipped and everything is going to be hunky-dory, uh, we're not going to put on our rose-colored glasses and have a perfect world tomorrow, there are, there are things that are being in, put in place today and the last couple of weeks that are going to make 2021 an improvement no matter what. So, yes, I am looking forward to this year being over as well, 920. Mark says, uh, thanks and Happy New Year, Brian. I'm looking forward to events wanting to happen like they used to years ago. Maybe at some point in time events will start to happen, including fans in the stands at the State Fair, etc. Yep, I'm, I'm with you, Mark. This is, these are the kind of things that, uh, that I'm looking forward to, too. One of, my, one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to is the ability to go without any worry and sit in a beer garden at a brewery outside in the summer without a mask and enjoy some beers in the sunshine. That's one of my favorite things to do. And this summer I was only able to do it a couple times, and the few times I did I was nervous, so I wasn't really enjoying myself. So that's one of the things I had to look, I have to look forward to, that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I found this list of things, uh, and it was... There's some good stuff on here, things that, you know, some if you're, uh, you may not think about, but others you may really be excited about. The Super Bowl is something to look forward to in 2021. The weekend is performing the halftime show. You know, are the Packers going to be in there? Good chance. You never know. We don't know who's going to be playing so far, but the uh, football game is set to take place on February 7th. The weekend performing the halftime show. I never really pay attention to the halftime shows too much anymore. I know, uh, who was it? I only remember this from last year because I just saw it on a yearly recap that Jennifer Lopez and Shakira did last year's show, and then there was an uproar, and then the pandemic came, and it was over. So that was, you know, that was that. But anyway, the weekend is going to be doing it. There might not be a huge crowd or any crowd for the Super Bowl, but if you're a sports fan, most of us, most of us don't get to go to the Super Bowl anyway. We watch it at home or with uh, friends or maybe a little party. So you might change your viewing habits a little bit, but you're still going to be just watching it from wherever you are. So uh, this is something now the the 920 texted in, and you know it's serious because there are four exclamation points. Concerts. And, yes, concerts are a huge deal. You may be able to actually see Broadway shows and concerts and all sorts of the arts Coming back in 2021, two of the biggest events that were canceled were concerts and Broadway shows, most of which had been rescheduled. Uh, some have been rescheduled sooner rather than later, so those might be pushed back again, but maybe not. Uh, Anthony Fauci told actor Jennifer Garner that he imagines we'll be able to sit in a theater and watch our favorite performers up on stage again by the fall of 2021. That would be nice. And also to go to the movies. I mean, I like, I like being able to watch movies from home, and that's a that's another good thing to look forward to. Warner Brothers is putting all their movies on HBO Max, so if you have HBO Max, you're all set. You know, we watched that Wonder Woman movie the other day. Sidebar: not as good as the first one. 
Mm. It was okay. And uh, I have no problem watching Gail Godot as Wonder Woman. She's a good, fine actress, beautiful woman. You know, she brings the character to life. I liked it. Just not as, uh, not as good as the first movie. But all the Warner Brothers movies are coming to HBO Max. So that's going to be good. Dune, In the Heights, Matrix 4. You'll be able to watch those from home. But hopefully by the, the summer or the fall, if movie theaters are still around, we'll be able to go back to the movie theaters and pay you know $187 for some popcorn and pop to sit with a bunch of people who are on their phone. So I can hardly wait for that. <laughs> uh, Ray is in Illinois. Hi, Ray. Hey, good afternoon, Brian. How are you? Happy New Year. I am well. Thank you. What are you looking forward yeah. to in 2021, Ray? I'm looking forward to uh, the change in administration uh, from Trump to uh, Joe Biden. I'm, I'll, I'll say I'm not a Trump fan, but uh, the last four years, I think, have been a little bit more chaotic than they needed to be, albeit you know, some good things have gotten done. I'm, I'm just interested in looking forward to seeing what Joe Biden and the uh, new Congress can come up with, and I hope that uh, people can actually start working together and getting some things done for the country. That is a good hope, Ray. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. Thank you for the call. Hey, it's, I, think, I think there are a lot of people who feel the same way Ray does. Somebody, Connie, uh, or no, uh, a 920 texter, not hearing Mr. Trump make dumb statements on the radio. There are just as many people who are not looking forward to that. So that's, that, therein lies one of the cruxes of Ray's call that maybe we can all start working together. But again, that sounds almost too good to be true. Who knows? Um, Connie says, visiting in person our grandma who is 91 and our family friend who is 97. Connie, that is one of the, I think, top things that most of us are looking forward to as well. It is, uh, it's hard. Now, I've been able to see my mom, but it's been very, you know, distanced, even on, you know, no hugs, uh, masks all the time, uh, in and out, never really, you know, never really sharing. If we, if we did have something to eat together, it was very far apart. So, yes, to be able to actually be in a room with family or friends in close proximity to each other without having to wear a mask, without having to worry all the time, I think is going to be wonderful. What are you looking forward to most in 2021? 855-616-1620. We'll keep talking to you about this. On the other side, it's Brian Noonan in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Surprise, it's not Jeff Wagner. It's Brian Noonan. Jeff's on vacation. He'll be back Monday. Don't worry about it. But right now, I'm talking to you at 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What are you looking forward to in 2021? Jeff is in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Brian. Happy, happy New Year. In addition to hopefully enjoying you as a fill-in host more in 2021, I am looking forward to making up for my mom's 80th birthday that we unfortunately had to not do due to COVID and bringing her down here for some sort of sporting event, um, out to eat somewhere at a nice restaurant, and frankly, whatever else she wants, provided that it's nothing illegal. <laughs> I don't know. At, uh, at 80, if she wants to do something illegal, why not? What do you got to lose? Yeah, well, we would see what the punishment for the crime would be. I guess I wouldn't completely rule it out. Right. I mean, if your mom wants to kill somebody, really, you need to have a talk with her. But if, you know, if she wants to boost a pack of gum from a convenience store, I'm not condoning it. But at 80, they'd probably let her go anyway. So I hope, I hope you get to yeah. do all these things. 
I hope you get to do all these yeah. things and, and and make up for the lost time with your mom, uh, and that we all get to do that. And thank you for the compliment at the beginning. I appreciate that, Jeff. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for the call. Yeah, at eighty, you know, there's certain crimes you could what you get a jaywalk, spit on the sidewalk. That's fine. You know, she's not going to underage drink. So I say at eighty, you could you know you could start doing some different things. Here's something else to look forward to. I know. I know my daughter is looking forward to this. A lot of fans of this show are looking forward to it. I don't know. Um, the official Friends reunion is going to start filming in March. Yes, although the uh, stars of Friends didn't get to do their reunion special this year, Matthew Perry did share on Twitter that they're going to start filming in March. Nobody knows what this reunion is going to entail, but Friends fans are waiting patiently for it to be released on HBO Max in the spring. Uh, the sitcom went off the air in 2004. That's uh, everybody who love this show, has been waiting for this. Uh, so they're, they're going to be looking forward to it. Here's something that I know I am looking forward to. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are looking forward to as well. The fact that you will be able to travel again. You know, right now I have no desire to get on a plane, even though there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, information that says, no, you're, you're pretty safe on a plane. I don't know. I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable breathing the air on a plane in regular times. So... I'm, that's just me. You know, I don't want to get on a plane now, but I do like to travel. So I'm hoping that as the summer comes and the fall comes, we can start traveling again. I have enjoyed the couple times that I've gone out, uh, and taken road trips. We went to, I told you we helped my daughter move down to New Orleans for her new job. And then subsequently we've driven down there one time. I like a road trip. So to me, not being able to fly, you know, it makes things a little less convenient, but it's also made us think, well, if we want to go somewhere for a couple of days, we can just jump in the car. So that all, that is always good. Uh, Kyle, what are you looking forward to most in 2021? Uh, I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm on the travel uh, travel bandwagon on this one because uh, Kaylee, my wife, and I, we didn't get to really have any kind of honeymoon. Uh, we got married in September, and our kind of mini-moon is what we called it. We went to a cabin. <laughs> up in northern Wisconsin, and that was about it for a weekend. And, I mean, you know, you get to enjoy the nature and uh, and the beautiful weather that we had, uh, luckily, for that weekend. But that was about it. Couldn't really go to any restaurants, couldn't really do much else uh, besides what we did. Um, so, yeah, traveling, having a honeymoon, that's priority right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Any thoughts on where you might go? The plan was Mexico, but honestly, uh, we've been able to save money this year and since the wedding um, to maybe even open it up to other places. Uh, but I know I know it's going to be an all-inclusive resort at, at somewhere with a beach, so there's okay. that. Well, and the, I think the good news is going to be once this settles down, everybody is going to be trying to get people to come back. So I have a feeling you're going to be able to go somewhere really nice for a deal, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine what the surge might be because I, I imagine that everybody that that's able to and that had plans this year to be traveling is just going to be you know chomping at the bit to be able to go there. So who knows? I imagine that there will be at least some sort of surge in travel. Well, if I, I throw one idea your way uh, for our twenty fifth anniversary, we went to an all inclusive in the Dominican Republic, and it was lovely. Oh, my parents have been there uh, twice in the past. I think like ten years. They love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that comes highly recommended. It's very nice, and if you like cigars, it's the place to be. You know, not my nice thing, box Brian. Of cigars for a great deal. No, thank you. But uh, everything else sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you don't have to smoke a cigar. You can have some rum, or you can have a soda pop. I don't get. You know, I don't judge. Whatever you want to do. But we went there. We had a great time. I those all-inclusive resorts 
are crazy because you give in to your baser gluttonous instincts. It's like, well, I paid all this money for all this food and drink. I might as well enjoy it nonstop for a week. And that's, you know, that's what you're paying for. That's perfect. All right, uh, one more Black Widow. The Marvel movie is coming out in May. There's going to be a super total lunar eclipse also in May. Some things to look forward to. Uh, we'll be able to go back to sporting events again by next football season. You'll be able to go to Lambeau. Hopefully you'll be able to go to the American Family Park to see the Brewers play. You'll be able to go see the Bucks play. Hopefully all of that by next season. And the Olympics are going to happen in July. So a lot of things to look forward to in 2021 as we say a goodbye to 2020. Let's do this. Then there's more. It's WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brian in for Jeff. As I said, Jeff will be back on Monday. We're going to talk to Greg Matzik in advance of his time on the Wisconsin Afternoon News. He's being very gracious. He's going to jump in early. We're going to talk about Packers-Bears on Sunday. The game, you know this, got flexed. It's starting at 325, so there's a lot on the line. We'll uh, talk to Greg, break it down. There's big news out of the Packer camp today with snacks coming over. Uh, not cheese, curds, and beer. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, if you are a hunter... I'm wondering if this story will ring close to home or not. It comes from Prague, but a hunter is reporting a rifle-stealing deer to police. Have you, have you ever been out in the woods and had your prey steal your weapon? It sounds... I have not, but I'm not a hunter, so I don't know if this is a common occurrence. Czech police are seeking help in an unusual case after a deer turned the tables on hunters and snagged a pursuer's rifle on his antlers before running away. Listen, I've got nothing but respect for this deer. If if you're able to do that and get away with it, okay. All's fair, you know. The hunter has a gun. You just have your antlers. If you can use them, good. The deer, who was frightened by a dog, ran toward one of the hunting party, tore his sleeve, and caught a strap of a twenty two Hornet rifle on his antlers. The rifle, which the hunter had slung over his left arm, uh, fortunately unloaded, slipped uh, on the deer's antlers and disappeared with him. Police said another hunter later spotted the deer about a kilometer away, still carrying the gun. Yes, and the weird thing was he was also adjusting the sights. So this deer is going to go on a rampage. If you're a hunter in Prague, this is not a time to be out wandering around the woods willy-nilly. There is an armed deer out there, and he's probably seeking revenge. Wouldn't you figure? All the years of hunters taking his brethren, now he's finally got a gun too? It's time to go. It's go time for this deer. Bambi is strapped. The hunter searched the forest but did not find the gun. He had no other choice than to report the incident to the police. Uh, yeah, you do. You just kind of ignore that one, don't you? How embarrassing would it be to call, uh, call the police and go, listen, I want to report that my, uh, my rifle was stolen. Oh, no, okay. Uh, do you have a description of the perpetrator? Sure I do. He's about 300 pounds, brown, he's got big antlers. And the dreamiest eyes you've ever seen. Huh? Yeah, a deer stole my rifle. All right, well, we're going to get the rifle back, but you're not, because obviously you cannot handle your firearms. So just be careful if you're a hunter. Don't let those deer steal your guns. On the other side of the news, Greg Matzik will join us. We are going to talk about Packers-Bears on Sunday. But right now we go to the WTMJ 24-hour newsroom. What's happening, Rusty Melberg? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) 
Ryan Noonan in for Jeff. The Packers going for the number one seed in the NFC Sunday when they travel to Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Uh, the game was flexed at 325 start time. Greg Matzik covers sports, as you know, on WTMJ's Afternoon News. It's nice enough to jump on with me early so we could talk about the game a little bit. Greg, thanks. I appreciate you taking uh, taking a little time before you actually had to go to work to come in and do some extra work. Yeah, no sweat, Brian. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Uh, I asked this before the news, and I'll ask you before we start talking about the game. What are you looking forward to most in 2021? Uh, a Packers run to the Super Bowl? Is that being too greedy? No. Uh, I'll settle for home field advantage in the first round by. Let, let's start with that. And for that to happen, of course, the first win of the new year would have to take place at Soldier Field on Sunday. How big a deal, this, this news came out today, uh, that uh, Damon Snack Harrison is, has been claimed off waivers from the Seahawks. How big a deal is that for the defensive line of the Packers? Yeah, remains to be seen, but this is a guy the Packers were after in October when he became available, and uh, the Seahawks were also in the mix. He ended up signing with the Seahawks practice squad, was ultimately elevated, uh, but didn't play last week. He was a healthy and active, and that was frustrating. And uh, so Harrison told Pete Carroll, that's it, right? I mean, if you're not going to play me, I get it. You want to get younger guys some snaps or guys you think have a larger future, that's cool, but let me go. Let me go play somewhere else. I think that's what happened here. Now, the question is, why were the Packers able to jump on him? The Packers are not first in the pecking order on waivers. Here's how the system works. Teams can put in a waiver claim on any player who hits the market, and the Packers put in a claim on Harrison. Other teams know that Harrison was not likely to show up had they put a claim in. I think the Packers put their claim in understanding that Harrison would come to play for them, given their conversations back in October. So, uh, to me, this is an added piece to the puzzle for the run defense, more so than it is the pass defense. And with Kingsley Kiki, the second-year pro, sidelined during the practice week with a concussion, it, you know, it, just, it just goes to show you how important depth is, especially at this time of the year and in the postseason. Now, there's all sorts of rules about when a team can talk to somebody. When you, when you say that the Packers knew that Harrison would come and play here, is it just from the conversations you think in October, or was there something else that, you know, where he's like, listen, you guys are, you guys are in the playoffs, I know you're going far, I would come and play here as opposed to talking to other teams and going, yeah, you know what, it's, this isn't going to be a good fit. Yeah, I think it's it's an understanding between the two parties, uh, Harrison's agent and the Packers, that you know conversations back in October, well, they've been resurrected now here in the month of December. Look, Harrison's 32, and he doesn't have a ring, and he would like to have a ring before his career ends, I'm sure, and he identifies the Packers as one of those teams that could be left standing uh, in the Super Bowl in Miami. And he's also you know, four years removed from being an all-pro, not a pro bowler, but an all-pro, meaning he was the best in the business at his position. And again, it's all about stuffing the run with Harrison. I'm not sure how much he's going to play, but if you think about waiver pickups in Packers history, two really stand out. Howard Green, the defensive lineman that made a key play in the Packers' most recent Super Bowl victory over the Steelers, and Andre Risen, who joined the team with just a few games left, didn't really do much in those four or five games with the Packers, but the lasting image of Ryzen in a Packers uniform is streaking down the middle of the field in New Orleans, hauling in a Brett Favre touchdown pass. So uh, veteran presence, guys who have been on the big stage before, that's what you like about this. I don't know how much he's going to do, 
in a Packers uniform, but history has proven you don't have to do much to having a lasting impact on a championship team. Definitely not. Now let's turn our attention to this week. Uh, the rivalry between the Packers and the Bears, there's still something there. It's not quite what it used to be, but this week is different because there's a lot on the line for both teams. The Packers are coming off a rout of the Titans, 40-14 last week. A lot of people saying it was like the most complete game that they've had since uh, Lafleur took over. The Bears coming off a big win, too, but if you look for the Packers, if you look at the Titans versus the Bears, how are they similar? Do you think, do you think there's a chance that there's going to be as big a point differential coming up this week as there was last week against the Titans? Yeah, I, I don't think it will be so great, nor do I think it'll be as great as the 45, excuse me, 41-25 win the Packers claimed over the Bears about a month ago. Where are they similar right now? They're hot. Both teams are winning. The Packers have won five in a row. The Bears have won four in a row. Excuse me, three in a row. But in each of their last four games, they scored 30 points or more. So that was the big mystery about the Bears the last time these two teams played. What's going on with the offense? How do you find consistency with the offense? You know, it was about a month ago at Lambeau Field, Mitch Trubisky turned the ball over three times in a a 15-point or 16-point loss. So he's playing much better. And I think it has a lot to do with the Bears' running game. David Montgomery is uh, churning out some yards and taking pressure off the quarterback. I still think the key to beating the Bears is taking away the run and forcing Trubisky to throw the ball 35, 40 times. That typically is not a good recipe for Chicago. Right. Now, the the defense for the Packers has been spurred recently by their safety play. What what brought about the change? You know, I, I think it's in part the, the, the maturation of a young player, Darnell Savage, who's in his second year and all of a sudden has four interceptions in his last five games. So, uh, and he dropped another one, uh, should have had two against Tennessee. So he's getting his hands on a lot of passes right now, unlike uh, the Packers' secondary in general at the start of the season. Teams are staying away from Jair Alexander, by and large. They're just not finding any success going his way. So they're turning their sights to other areas of the field. And what really stands out about Savage is his speed in closing. He breaks on the football incredibly quick. Now, sometimes he gambles and gets beat, but he hits it and goes. And you love that kind of effort. Mistakes that he makes are typically the result of, of moving too fast versus just flat-out getting beat. Um, and Adrian Amos is sort of the steady presence, more of a sure tackler, uh, isn't more of the splash playmaker that Savage has proven to be. But you're seeing a, a an escalation in level of play similar to what we saw in Nick Collins, if you want to go back to an incredible Packers safety from uh, the Super Bowl days of 2010-2011. Unfortunately, his career came to an end due to an injury, but he had a bit of a slow start as a second-round pick, and when he hit his stride, he was the best in the game. And Savage could eventually be that. He was a first-round pick. But I think most importantly, you're seeing the incremental improvement. You already mentioned that one of the keys is for the Packer defense to make Trubisky have to throw a lot because we all know he's not good at that. Uh, What do you you see as some of the other, uh, from the Packers' side, as a key to success? You know, I think the weather will play a role. I'm not sure exactly what the temp is going to be. Obviously, the wind's ripping off the lake. I've seen shotgun snaps blow away from a quarterback's hand. So um, that can certainly be an issue on Sunday. And, of course, both teams have to play in it. Uh, I like the Packers' chances if the weather gets a little gnarly. Uh, But to me now, you've got a three-headed monster at running back, if indeed Jamal Williams does play. It looks like he is going to. 
So controlling the game on the ground, you know, the Packers turned out 182 yards against the Bears, who did not have Akeem Hicks when they played about a month ago. I think the Bears will have Hicks this week. He missed practice due to an illness, non-COVID related, uh, but his injury has healed. He had a hamstring issue about a month ago. I think that's a big deal for the Bears because a lot of the Packers' yards that day in November came through the middle, in between the tackles. So that'll be a more significant challenge, I think, on Sunday. Uh, But the ground game, I I think, is still key because it sets up everything the Packers want to do in play action. Everybody's talking about Aaron Rodgers as the MVP. He's playing at the same level he did the last two times he he won the MVP. Uh, will, Will that decision all be based on how he performs on Sunday? Uh, is it going to be cumulative for the rest of the season? Because it, he seems like a lock at this point. On, the only other person, maybe Mahomes. Yeah, I think it's a two-horse race. Uh, I think Aaron's play the last four weeks has been superior to Mahomes, especially in terms of protecting the football. Um, Mahomes had a game uh, a couple weeks ago where he turned the ball over three times. He had 385 yards passing, but he also had three interceptions. And that's where Aaron Rodgers, I think, has separated himself. A touchdown to interception ratio is uh, is just unheard of in the NFL. And his numbers are consistent with previous MVP years that he's had. So uh, I think he's got this team on his back. And playing out the way that it's been played out here the last several weeks, especially with the national TV game, Sunday night games and back-to-back weeks, I think that's, that's been a feather in Rodgers' cap. You can't argue with Mahomes. His numbers are off the charts. Uh, but I think Rodgers does have a leg up right now in the run. So it's all in the Packers' hands. They win. They've got the first round by, the number one seed in the NFC. Everything's good. Uh, as you mentioned, both teams hot, but... You got to give the edge to the Packers, right? Even even with the Bears getting hot, they they get hot, but it's one of those rapid boils where it bubbles up fast and then it goes away. Whereas it seems the 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 boil for the Packers is has always been much more consistent. Yeah, you, you feel like the Packers have been boiling all season long. Uh, it really, there's only a couple of games where the Packers' offense has been head-scratching. Uh, you think about Jacksonville. Now, granted, that was a win, certainly against Tampa Bay. And Indianapolis, they put up points but weren't able to win the game. But these were all games in which the Packers lost the turnover battle. And by and large, they've done a good job protecting the football. Uh, things went south in a hurry at Tampa Bay, but... This team scores 30 on anybody, and they've scored 40 on every division opponent. They put up 40 against the Tennessee Titans. I I don't know that there's a defense in the league that can truly stop what Green Bay wants to do where the Packers have run into trouble is when they've turned the ball over. So, uh, look, if the Bears can score 34 and beat the Packers, tip your hat because that's an incredible incredible offensive performance uh, by a team that's playing better offense, but it's been inconsistent this season. You want to make a prediction, point prediction? Uh, I think the Packers win this game. I, I just, I, I think it, there's too much on the line here. And given what happened a year ago in Detroit, remember the Packers had a chance to secure the number two seed and a first round bye in the playoffs, and they were terrible against the Detroit Lions. So they ended up dropping. They still made it to the NFC Championship game, uh, but it was one game at Lambeau Field, and they had to play Week One of the postseason. I, I think whatever happened that week in terms of preparation. Throw it out the window. Matt LaFleur has learned a lesson, I think, with how to treat this game. So I do think the Packers will end up winning the game. I think there is a talent gap, and really it starts at the quarterback position. I think maybe the weather influences the point total, but I think it's a, a 28-20 ball game somewhere in that neighborhood, and the Packers come away with a win, division title, and first-round bye.
All right. That's uh, that's very optimistic. Sounds good. Sounds about right, too. Uh, Greg, thanks a lot for jumping in. I know we'll be hearing you all afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, and uh, you'll be covering the game in much more depth. Thanks very much, man. I appreciate the time. Yep, you bet. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. All right, we will talk more about more on the other side. It's WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, noon and in for Jeff for a few more minutes, and then the year is over for us, and Jeff will be back on Monday. Uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing the updates, the uh, press conference or the Zoom call for people from uh, the Aurora Medical Center has been going on, and uh, Mike will have all the news on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, the update on the vaccines that were left out. The other day when this came out, they thought it was an accident. Now we have learned that it was not an accident, that a pharmacist actually took them out and left them out. Uh, for whatever reason. Following all kinds of people on Twitter, maybe you are on Twitter, maybe you tweet, and uh, in this day and age, we have to be very careful about what we tweet because people tend to go back once you get any sort of notoriety, and uh, they go back and they search you out, and they try to either shame you or cancel you for things that you've said on Twitter. Well, one person has said, listen, I could have deleted some tweets that I know caused a problem, but I left them up there so it doesn't appear that I am hiding or whitewashing my past. That person is Ken Jennings. You know Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy champion? He's a consultant on Jeopardy. He's going to be one of the interim hosts since the passing of Alex Trebek. He is taking responsibility for a number of tweets in the past that were deemed offensive. Uh, He was on Twitter yesterday uh, to own up to several, his words, to own up to several unartful and insensitive tweets. I've never heard tweets referred to as unartful. I've heard them referred to as insensitive or objectionable or offensive, but unartful. Uh, I guess that's a word that a Jeopardy champion will use. He, uh, They recently came to light. He's preparing to debut, as I mentioned, as the interim host of Jeopardy. Quote Jennings, I just wanted to own up to the fact that over the years on Twitter, I've definitely tweeted some unartful and insensitive things. Sometimes they worked as jokes in my head, and I was dismayed to see how they read on screen. Well, okay. We've all, listen, I'm, I'm guilty of making jokes that I think are funny that to some people are not, and that to some people may, may be offensive. And you want to take responsibility for that if... Some people need to lighten up, but sometimes you really do offend somebody, and if you can figure out why and explain to them, well, listen, that was not my intention, maybe it can all go away, you know? But sometimes uh, people do not want to let it go away, and so they dig these things up. Uh, And also, it's your responsibility on Twitter to read things before you tweet them, or on any social media post, if you go on Facebook, uh, or anywhere that you're posting a message, even if you're sending a text. Read it before you hit send. And here's a good rule. Never do it angry. (laughs) Take a minute, take a breath, and uh, move on. So Jennings faced uh, backlash over a 2014 tweet. Now the tweet, you know, here's the tweet. This is Ken Jennings again, not me. Nothing sadder than a hot person in a wheelchair. End quote. Now, I don't find that amusing, or funny, or a joke. But, you know, I'm also I'm also just going to shake my head and not try to get a guy fired for that. Uh, despite many viewers dubbing the tweet deeply offensive, he refused to take it down. 
when it came to light a couple years ago. It said, in the past, I'd usually leave bad tweets up just so they could be dunked on, he explained. Uh, this was yesterday, he explained it. At least that way they could lead to smart replies and even advocacy. Deleting them felt like whitewashing a mistake. Is that more admirable than just deleting it and hoping nobody finds out? Or if somebody did find out, you just delete it and then you never mention it again? I mean, it takes, in my view, it takes a little more guts to say, okay, uh, I was dumb, I made a mistake. That's not how I feel six years later. Um, and that's that. He believes that the practice uh, of taking things off may have given the impression that, or leaving them up rather, gives the impression that I stand by every failed joke I've ever posted here. That is not at all correct. Sometimes I said dumb things in a dumb way, and I want to apologize to people who were rightfully offended. It wasn't my intention to hurt anyone, but that doesn't matter. I screwed up, and I am truly sorry. And if that's the case, I say, let it go. We've got to, if I got, this is what I don't get. If people apologize, and we keep going after them. Now, if he apologizes and then keeps making insensitive tweets, then you go, well, you didn't apologize at all. You deserve everything you get. But again, the one tweet was six years ago. How long do we how long do we hold people's feet to the fire? Hopefully, not too much longer. Because uh, if that's the truth, I think I know I'd be in trouble, and I think a lot of us would be in trouble for things we've said in the past. But the past is the past, as is the show. So I'm going to take a quick break. Then I'll say goodbye and find out what uh, Mike Spaulding's got on Wisconsin's afternoon news. We'll do that after this on WTMJ.